Chapter Twenty Nine of The Missing Bride. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Luna. The Missing Bride by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Twenty Nine. Thurston. After a stormy passage in life comes a long calm, preceding perhaps another storm. I must pass rapidly over several years. Thurston was a new being. He resolved to devote his time, talents, and means, first of all to carrying on and perfecting those works of education and reform started by Marian in his own neighbourhood. But this was a very mournful consolation, for in every thought and act of the whole work the memory of Marian was so intimately woven that her loss was felt with double keenness. Every effort was doubly difficult, every obstacle was doubly great, every discouragement doubly hopeless, because she was not there with her very presence inspiring hope and energy, and every success was robbed of its joy, because she was not there to rejoice with him. He missed her in all things, he missed her everywhere. Solitude had fallen upon all the earth from which she had passed away, because her face was gone all other faces were repulsive to his sight. Because her voice was silent, all other voices were discordant to his ear. Because her love was impossible, all other friendships and affections were repugnant to his heart. And Thurston, young, handsome, accomplished and wealthy, became a silent and lonely man. The estate left by old Cloudsley Wilcoxon had exceeded even the reports of his hoarded wealth. The whole estate, real and personal, was bequeathed to his eldest grandson, Thurston Wilcoxon, upon the sole condition that it should not be divided. Dell Delight, with its natural beauties, was a home that wealth could convert into a material paradise. Once it had been one of Thurston's happiest dreams to adorn and beautify the matchless spot and make it worthy of Marian, its intended mistress. Now he could not bear to think of those plans of home beauty and happiness so interwoven with fond thoughts of her, so poignant with the wounds of association that he could scarcely endure to remain in a neighbourhood so filled with reminiscences of her. And he must have fled the scene and take a refuge from memory in foreign travel, had he suffered from bereavement and sorrow only. But he was tortured by remorse, and remorse demands to suffer and to atone for sin and, therefore, though it spiritually seemed like being bound to a wheel and broken by its every turn, he was true to his resolution to remain in the county and devote his time, wealth, and abilities to the completion of Marian's unfinished works of benevolence. Dell Delight remained unaltered. He could not bear to make it beautiful, since Marian could not enjoy its beauty. Only such changes were made as were absolutely necessary in organizing his little household. A distant relative, a middle-aged lady of exemplary piety, but of reduced fortune, was engaged to come and preside at his table, and take charge of Miriam's education, for Miriam was established at Dell Delight. It is true that Mrs. Wool would have wished this arrangement otherwise. She would have preferred to have the orphan girl with herself, but Commodore War would not even hear of Miriam's coming to Lucky now with any patient. "'For if her mother had married Grimm, none of these misfortunes would have happened,' he said. 
Even Jacquelina had been forced to fly from Luckinell. No one knew whither. Some said that she had run away, some knew that she had retired to a convent, some said only to escape the din and turmoil of the world, and find rest to her soul in a few months or years of quiet and silence, and some said she had withdrawn for the purpose of taking the vows and becoming a nun. Mrs. Wall knew all about it, but she said nothing, except to discourage inquiry upon the subject. In the midst of speculation following Jacqueline's disappearance, Cloudsley Mornington had come home. He stayed a day or two at Luckinow, a week at Dell Delight, and then took himself, with his broken heart, off from the neighbourhood, and got ordered upon a distant and active service. There were also other considerations that render it desirable for Miriam to reside at Dell Delight, rather than at Luckinow. Commodore Wall would have made a terrible guardian to a child so lately used to the blessedness of a home with her mother, and withal so shy and sensitive as to breathe freely only in an atmosphere of peace and affection, and lucky now would have supplied a dark and dreary home for her whose melancholy temperament and recent bereavements rendered change of scene and the companionship of other children absolute necessities. It was for these several reasons that Mrs. Waugh was forced to consent that Thurston should carry his little adopted daughter to his own home. Thurston's household consisted now of himself, Mrs. Norris, his housekeeper, Alice Morris, her daughter, Paul Douglas, his own half-brother, poor Fanny, and lastly, Miriam. Mrs. Norris was a lady of good family but decayed fortune, of sober years and exemplary piety. In closing her terms with Mr. Wilcoxon, her one great stipulation had been that she should bring her daughter, whom she declared to be too young and giddy, to be trusted out of her own sight, even to go to a boarding-school. Mr. Wilcoxon expressed himself rather pleased than otherwise at the prospect of Miriam's having a companion, and so the engagement was closed. Alice Morris was a hearty, cordial, blooming hoyden, really about ten or eleven years of age, but seeming from her fine growth and proportions at least thirteen or fourteen. Paul Douglas was a fine, handsome, well-grown boy of fourteen, with an open, manly forehead, shaded with clustering yellow curls, as soft and silky as a girl's, and a full, beaming, merry-blue eye, whose flashing glances were the most mirth-provoking to all upon whom they chanced to light. Paul was, and ever since his first arrival in the house had been, the life of the family. His merry laugh and shout were the pleasantest sounds in all the precincts of Del Delight. When Paul first heard that there was to be an invasion of women and girls into Del Delight, he declared he had rather there had been an eruption of the goth and vandals at once, for if there were any folks he could not get along with, they were the gals. Besides which, he was sure now to have the coldest seat around the fire, the darkest place at the table, the backward ride in the carriage, and to get the decks of chickens and the tails of fishes for his share of the dinner. Boys were always put upon by the girls, and sorry enough he was, he said, that any were coming to the house. And he vowed a boyish vow, by thunder and lightning, that he would torment the girls to the very best of his ability. Girls, forsooth! Girls coming to live there, day and night, and eat and drink, and sleep and sit and sue, and walk up and down through the halls and parlours and chambers of Del Delight. Girls, 
with their airs and affectations and pretensions and exactions. Girls! Pah! The idea was perfectly disgusting and offensive. He really did wonder at brother. But then he already considered brother something of an old bachelor, and old bachelors would be queer. But Thurston well knew how to smite the rock, and open the fountain of sympathy in the lad's heart. He said nothing in reply to the boy's saucy objections, but on the evening that little Miriam arrived, he beckoned Paul into the parlour, where the child sat alone, and pointing her out to him, said in a low tone, "'Look at her. She has lost all her friends. She has just come from her mother's grave. She is strange, and sad, and lonesome. Go, try to amuse her.' "'I'm going to her, though I hardly know how.' replied the lad, moving toward the spot where the abstracted child sat deeply musing. "'Miriam, is that your name?' he asked by the way of opening the conversation. "'Yes,' replied the child, very softly and shyly. "'It's a very ethnish, oh, Lord, I mean, it's a very pretty name, is Miriam. It's a Bible name, too. I don't know, but what, it's a saint's name, also.' The little girl made no reply, and the boy felt at a loss what to say next. After fidgeting from one foot to the other, he began again. "'Miriam, shall I show you my books? Scott's poems, and the Waverley novels, and Milton's paradise, and—' "'No, I thank you,' interrupted the girl uneasily. "'Well, would you like to see my pictures? Two volumes of engravings, and a portfolio full of sketches?' "'No, thank you.' "'Shall I bring you my drawer full of minerals? "'I have got—I don't want them, please. "'Well, then, would you like the dried bugs? "'I've got whole cards of them under a glass case, "'and—I don't want them either, please. "'Dear me, I have not got anything else to amuse you with. "'What do you want?' exclaimed Paul, "'and he walked off in high Dutchton. "'The next day Fortune favoured Paul in his efforts to please Miriam. "'He had a tame white rabbit.' and he thought that the child would like it for a pet. So he got up very early in the morning and washed the rabbit, clean as a new penny, and put it under a new box to get dry, while he rode to sea and bought a blue ribbon to tie around its neck. This jaunt made Paul very late at breakfast, but he felt rewarded when afterward he gave the rabbit to old Jenny and asked her to give it to the little girl. And when he heard the later say, "'Oh, what a pretty little thing! Tell Paul thank ye. After this, by slow degrees, he was enabled to approach the little black bird without alarming her, and after a while he coached her to take a row in his little boat, and a ride on his little pony, always qualifying his attentions by saying that he did not like girls as a general thing, but that she was different from others. And Mr. Wilcoxon witnessed, with much satisfaction, the growing friendship between the girl and boy for they were the two creatures in the world who divided all the interest he felt in life. The mutual effect of the children upon each other's character was very beneficent. The gay and joyous spirits of Paul continually charmed Miriam away from those fits of melancholy, to which she was by temperament and circumstances a prey, while the little girl's shyness and timidity taught Paul to tame his own boisterous manners for her sake. Mrs. Waugh had not forgotten her young protégé. She came as often as possible to Del Delight, to inquire after the health and progress of the little girl. 
it was not to be supposed in any neighbourhood where there existed managing mammas and unmarried daughters that a young gentleman handsome accomplished wealthy and of good repute should remain unmolested in his bachelorhood indeed the matrons and maidens of his own circle seemed to think themselves individually aggrieved by the young heir's mode of life and many were the dinners and evening parties got up for his sake in vain for to their infinite disgust thurston always returned an excuse instead of an acceptance at length the wounded self-esteem of the community received a healing solve in the form of a report that mr wilcoxen had withdrawn from the gay world in order the better to prepare himself for the christian ministry a report that in twelve months received its confirmation in the well-established fact that thurston wilcoxen was a candidate for holy orders and in the meantime the young guardian did not neglect his youthful charge for in strict interpretation of his assumed duties of guardianship he had taken the education of the girl and boy under his own personal charge many hard-working ministers of the gospel have received pupils to educate for hire why may not i with more time at my command reserve the privilege of educating my own adopted son and daughter he said and acting upon that thought had fitted up a little schoolroom adjoining his library where in the presence of mrs morris miriam and paul pursued their studies mrs morris hearing such recitations as lay within her province and mr wilcoxen attending to the classical and mathematical branches thus passed many months and every month the hearts of the children were knitted closer to each other and to their guardian and thurston wilcoxen grew in favour with god and man his name became the synonym for integrity probity and philanthropy he built a church and a free school and supported both at his own expense in the third year after entering upon his inheritance he was received into holy orders and two years after he was elected pastor of his native parish thus time went by and brought at length the next eventful epoch of our domestic history that upon which miriam completed her sixteenth year End of chapter twenty nine thurston recording by sandra luna